The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, episode 885 for Monday, August 16th, 2021. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found. We mash them all together. Then we try to string them together into something that loosely resembles an agenda so that we can answer your questions and share your tips and share our tips and share your cool stuff found. Sometimes even ask questions of our own because the goal is for each and every one of us to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode... Easy for me to say. Sponsors for this episode include LinkedIn Jobs at LinkedIn.com slash MGG, where you can post your first job for free. And BB Edit 14 from the folks at Barebones. We'll talk more about some of the uh, some of the new features they've got going in there. For now, back here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in sweltering, it's 91 degrees, um, Fairfield, Connecticut, this is... John F. Braun. Yeah, man, it's hot in New England. It's hot in a lot of places right now. It's, I mean, it's summer in the, well, in the northern northern hemisphere here. But yeah, 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 yeah. I kind of like the heat. Our, our little, we bought one of those those little inflatable pools. It's like a 15-foot thing um, last summer because we were, you know, all stuck at home. And, and we set it up again this summer. And so I do my, uh, I do my triathlon most, many days, not every day. But uh, my triathlon consists of me going for a... Uh, bike ride around the neighborhood we we have actually have a great little path that i can take and and that's good so you know obviously that works up sweat and then uh then i run across i I put on my bathing suit for my bike ride and then i run across the yard and then i take a dip in our little pool so that's my triathlon every day or most days some days as often as i am able and it's been nice because the pool's been like 84 degrees or something ridiculous Uh, but we have uh we have mac questions Apple questions, Apple tips, all kinds of technology-related issues to discuss. Tom and Gary, this was really bizarre. I got, we got two emails. Uh, They came in about nine hours apart. And the first one was titled Mac Mini Strange Restart Behavior. The second one was I've Got the Restart Blues. And both of these described exactly the same issue and the issue uh as gary explains he says wonder if you might have any idea i've tried everything i can think of i have a 2010 mac mini lying around and decided to revive it by replacing the hard disk with an ssd uh it seems to be working great apart from the fact that it will not restart properly powering off and on by holding the power button for 10 seconds to power it off uh results in a proper startup all is well that way but if i attempt to restart the normal way I get the circle with the diagonal line through it, the prohibited sign. I have tried an NVRAM reset, a PRAM reset, unplugging it, SMC, uh, booting into recovery mode, running disk first aid, all of that good stuff. Nothing fixed it. Tom's email almost read the same verbatim, including the steps that he had tried to fix it and including the only way that it would work properly was to hold that button in for 10 seconds to power it off and power it on. John, you and I both took a look at this and you and I both had the same thought. The thought, my friend, 
Well, I didn't have that thought. You did. You said battery. You just didn't. You, you then you looked and didn't see that it has a replaceable battery. But I, I from your email trail, I, I thought that you, I thought that you had a, uh, I thought that you jumped to battery. Well, I did a, I did a search, um, and it came up with a model earlier than the the ones that these guys have. Yeah. And so I concluded that it didn't have a battery and took another path, which turned out to be probably not correct. It does have a battery, and there is a link to the um, to the iFixit article. We'll put it in the show notes at MacGeekGab.com, which if you go to MacGeekGab.com, you can sign up for the email newsletter, and we will send you the show notes so you don't even have to worry about it. But it's got a 2032 uh, battery in there, the little button battery, and, uh, and iFixit will show you how to replace it. This is classic symptoms of a bad PRAM battery, whatever you want to call it. They used to call them BIOS batteries on Windows machines, whatever you want to call it. There's a little battery inside the computer that holds on to some very important settings. And if that battery is unable to power the little chip that holds on to those settings, you have a problem. And so do Gary and Tom. So hopefully fixable by simply replacing the battery. And I fix it shows us how to do it. So. Yeah, thank you. Gary was the one that, that found the article that I fix it. So I think it was one of them. And so I sent it to the other. Yeah. Oh. And actually, I just looked in Mac Tracker and it does, in fact, indicate that that model does have a battery. Oh, so. what a great place to look. Right. Ah, yeah, I love Mac Tracker. Yeah, that's great. Ah, good stuff. All right, cool. So hopefully that uh, just remember those symptoms. Almost always means battery. If you're having weird restart issues, it just it can't remember what it's supposed to do. And so it gets often what happens is the 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 effective net result is that the contents of what it reads from that are corrupted and you get full stop. That's generally speaking what's happening. So, yeah, I remember having the same problem with, uh, oh, I think it was my 2012 MacBook Pro. They have. Uh, yep battery in there that's actually kind of hard to get at uh, and uh yeah the symptom was that when the machine when i started it up it would be like oh it's 1970 I'm like uh no it's not <laughs> yeah that's a good sign right that that that's part of the issue right there yeah all right you want to take us to paul Yes, so uh, Paul says, on my late 2013 Retina MacBook Pro running Catalina, while entering text in an application, I can type the first few letters of a word and then hit option escape and get a drop-down list of possibilities. What is this feature called? I want to know so that a, a Google search would get information about it. Similarly, searching for option escape keyboard shortcut does not return any useful information. What is the keyboard shortcut of option? Where is the keyboard shortcut of option escape located so that I could change it and make it and make it the same on all my Macs? Um, and so I invoked my uh, Google Foo and I found what it is called, Dave. Um, it's something that you have in iOS as well. Uh, it's called autocomplete. Uh, and I found a nice little article over at Stack Exchange. Um, com that describes this feature and so apparently this has been in mac os for quite a while the the article says since uh, 10.6 but basically if an app is using apple's text routines um 
you, you can do this. And I, I, I don't think I've ever invoked this because I didn't know it was there because it's not really documented too well, as he pointed out. Um, you can also use F5. I did verify huh. that. So F5 also invokes this feature. Interesting. Huh. Cool. It looks like Apple, I don't think Apple calls this autocomplete. I think Apple considers this part of spelling correction, which is system preferences, keyboard, text, and then there's a checkbox there, correct spelling automatically. I think if you turn that off, I think the feature you're talking about here goes away. So, um, uh, but the search that I did that also came up with a match, I'll call it predictive text. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So like I typed in, for example, uh, TH and then you hit this key combination and like the first word that came up was thank. So it tries to guess what word you want there. Oh, again, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just, just like an iOS. Yeah. All right. So let me see. Let me try it while we're, while we're at it. So I've turned off correct spelling automatically. I type TH. I hit F5. No, I still get it up. So it is not related to that. Okay. I stand. I sit corrected. That's interesting. Yeah. And you got the same list. I did. Yeah. I got a list. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. That's pretty good. Huh? Cool. Fun stuff. Yeah. So, so it's F five is one of the keys. Say the other one again. Option escape is the other option escape. How come that didn't work for me? Option escape. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Okay. It was weird. I had to hit it twice, but, um, but it, it did work now that I've done it twice. Now it works every time. That's weird, but your mileage may vary or it may be very consistent with mine. So you might have to hit it twice the first time. Mm hmm. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that, sir. Uh, we got to get that out of the way. Uh, all right. Now let's move on to Leaf. Who makes us look within Leaf says uh, last week, a question popped up when you talked about SSDs and backups. I have uh, a, a related question regarding backup strategy. Can I now skip bootable backups and concentrate on backing up just user files only in this new world of our split volume APFS? And then uh, regarding SSDs as a backup, shall I have one large SSD, say four terabytes or separate smaller one terabyte ones to back up photos and maybe not any longer bootable Mac OS presently says I have several hard drives. Uh, with different frequencies uh, and also accounting for the risk uh, risk of a, any one of them stopping working. So, yeah, the the I, I you know I have as as with many of us, I have been in the habit of bootable backups for you know let's say a decade, but it's probably many of them because that's what you did. However, um, this new world certainly Apple is pushing us down a path where bootable backups are becoming more and more difficult to do. Uh, yes, third party developers like the the folks that you know, uh, Super Duper and Carbon Copy Cloner have been able to get it to work, but not without a lot of sort of sleuthing and also waiting for the tools from Apple to be updated to do it. But it seems like Apple's priority is not on bootable backups anymore. And it's at least in part because our system, our, our volumes, our 
our boot disks are effectively split into two different volumes. There's the system volume, which contains the bootable part of the system. And then there's the user volume, which contains all the stuff that we do to the system. And only one of those, the latter one is writable. So there's very little chance that something could get corrupted on the system volume, especially because updates are done with snapshots. So you can always roll back. Of course, if the drive itself dies, then you don't have a way to boot your Mac unless you have a bootable backup so that there, there still is a, a relatively realistic use case for arguing to, to need one. But I, I'm not convinced that we're going to have the ability to make them uh, for very long going into the future. So, yeah, I'm I'm leaving. I, I'm taking the the momentum path on this. To answer your question, I still am creating bootable backups because I can. Uh, however, I am emotionally preparing myself for a world where that is not necessarily going to be part of my strategy anymore, if that makes sense. How about, how about you, John? Um, I like making bootable backups. Yeah. And are you still like now mm -hmm. that now that you can again? Yeah. Okay. Because for, yeah. for a period and, of time, we couldn't, right? We had to live in a world without bootable backups. So, mm -hmm. but yeah. And I also upgraded a carbon copy cloner. Right. <laughs> right. That's the, that's the way to do it. Right. That, that's mm -hmm. uh, that and super duper now. Um, I guess super duper was first with it, right. On this particular mm -hmm. thing. But yeah. Now, as far as your SSDs uh, as backups, I, I think the best way to answer that question for me is to remember that we don't want to rely on any one thing. And, and there is, you know, the, the conventional wisdom that you want things backed up or you want your data to exist in three places, right? You want it to exist in its main place in a local backup and in an offsite backup. And if your data is too large to make an offsite backup, feasible or economically realistic or bandwidth usage realistic, then having a second local backup would be uh, sort of the next best thing. It's, it is a second best because it's still on location and could, you know, suffer from theft or fire, or any of those, you know, sort of localized hazards, but uh, you, you, you want to have it, you know, I, I like to have things backed up twice. So uh, I do, I have a four terabyte SSD on my main Mac downstairs and that's what I back up everything to. It is my bootable backup. It is also my archive for things. And then it is, it is where I store my photos and my music library. I do not keep those on the internal drive in that, in that Mac. I keep them on this external. So that is the only place they exist on that computer. But then I back up my photos to iCloud photo library. So there's my offsite. And then also I make, I keep a copy that I put on my Synology. So you just want to have multiple copies of things. Uh, if economically it makes sense to get a four terabyte SSD versus four, one terabyte SSDs, then, then yeah, I would say do that. Um, it, it doesn't really matter as long as you've got another copy of it somewhere. So that's my thought. I don't know. How do you, uh, with, does that match what you're doing these days, John? Um, I have one terabyte SSDs in both my machines and I back up to a one terabyte SSD with carbon copy cloner. Okay. And then do you also do, you also do like time machine or whatever yes. to your NAS? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you've got, yeah, you've got lots of copies of things. Yeah, that's good. 
Cool. Uh, Larry has a question. Larry has it. Larry wants to take us down a path, perhaps a mini dive of the, of tweaking the Apple TV experience. Huh, John? Yes. All right. So, um, so here's what Larry has to say. Call us weird, but we actually like to watch the credits and we like to read them. Uh, on Apple TV and most of the apps, the up next bar appears and gives you like 10 second countdown to reach for your remote and flip around and try to prevent it from auto playing the next video. How do I just get rid of that altogether? I did some searching and found that there was a setting in accessibility, but that didn't work for me. So then I fast forwarded through a show and was quick on the draw and just skipped ahead a couple of up next video frames and at least got it to stop doing the countdown, but the bar does not go away. I just don't want it to be there. I'm very capable of figuring out what I want to play next. Also, isn't there a faster fast forward that scrubs through really quickly rather than just the standard two times? Uh, if I push down on the Apple TV remote, it will fast forward, but at VHS speeds. Um, I can't seem to do it on the Apple TV remote app on my phone. Is there a solution for this? Um, I don't know if I have an answer on the up next thing. I don't know how to get rid of that. Um, but as for fast forward, Dave, I did found a trick. Uh, and it was in a, uh, and I think I've actually done this and just didn't realize it. Yep. Um, and I found a support article over at Apple. Is there a way to fast forward really fast? Uh, and the answer is yes. Okay. Um, here we are. Um, so there are three modes uh, using the Apple remote. So um, there's the 10 second rewrite and fast forward when you, if you just click in one direction or the other. If you tap and hold, that's what he's experiencing but then here's a way to go super fast is you pause playback and then drag your finger left and right over the touchpad area and it scrubs at as fast as you can scrub forward and back right yeah. so it, your, your finger is the is the limiting mm -hmm. factor there in the speed yeah the scrubbing is is the key yeah i like that yep that's that's one of the best things about the apple remote arguably maybe the only great thing about it i don't know i've, I've never really integrated the Apple room into my life. But when I need to scrub, I reach for the Apple remote. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool. He had another question though. You, um, you, uh, you had something else, right? About the credits, um, that you followed up with. Yeah. Um, about, about dealing with the minimized credits window that happens with the up next thing. Yeah, John. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You yeah. can, um, well, I think he, he's doing this too, but yeah, if you get the minimized window, you can basically scroll up and then highlight it and then click on the remote and it'll make that window bigger again. Okay. So when it minimizes you, okay, I see what you're saying. You, you, you sort of swipe up on the, on the Apple remote mm -hmm. and, and until it, it highlights the little minimized thing and then you hit it and then it goes full screen. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Um, Larry, I like doing that too. You, usually, I like to uh, see in the credits if uh, Industrial Light and Magic or Skywalker Sound had anything to do with it. Sure. And actually, the film that uh, I was watching at that time, um, even though it was a Sony Pictures, they used Skywalker Sound. Skywalker ah. Sound is a very popular audio processing house. Yeah, it's sure, sure it, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, I got to have a tour of ILM a few years ago. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd love to get a tour of Skywalker Sound. So I'll, I'll, so I'll throw that out there. If anybody wants to give me a tour of Skywalker Sound, let me know. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com. Uh, Feedback at MacGeekUp.com. Uh, it's worth saying again. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com for sure. Uh, but we will continue helping Larry because he had a second uh, sort of related question with the Apple TV. He said, um, for the most part, things have been going well. But there was a time maybe three or four years ago when I noticed audio problems, but that seemed to go away. Suddenly and recently, I'm watching my Apple TV and the actor's lips are moving and then I hear what they are saying. It's out of sync. My receiver amplifier that I'm using is not super old, but it is a couple generations back, uh, but it still works great. So I don't want to replace it. This seems to only happen when I'm watching on Apple TV, not anything else. Any suggestions? And yeah, absolutely. Um, Apple TV will allow you to calibrate the audio uh, and video so that essentially what it will do is delay the video so that it appears at the moment that whatever your audio path is creates the audio. Right. And, and that could be because you're doing wireless speakers, which adds some latency, or it just could be the way that your system works. And, and it just has some latency built into it. It's very, very normal. And a lot of TVs and a lot of uh, streaming boxes have the ability to do this. I'll put a link in the show notes to Apple's article about it. But the way you do it is you go on your Apple TV, you go to settings, audio and video calibration, and then you'll do a few steps to get things in sync and then things will be in sync and you'll be good to go. So. Yeah, it's a um, normal issue. It doesn't mean that your hardware is too old, uh, Larry. It just means that you need to ha- you need to have a little bit of delay built in that that often this is so common that it's it's often put in as a predictive measure. Uh, and the more your setup knows about the rest of your setup, the better it can predict uh, in your case, for whatever reason, it's just. It just can't see what it needs to see to be able to predict it well. But it, it's totally normal and does not mean you need to replace gear. You might get brand new gear that also has this issue. So, ah, all right. People uh, in the chat room, uh, PJ asks, can people stop complaining about the Apple remote and just use their iPhone or iPad? Yes, for sure. Um, Paul Franz asks, can you use an iPhone that uses a different iCloud account than the Apple TV as the remote? And uh, DWY answers, they just have to be on the same network. My wife uses her iPhone, uh, grandkids, etc., all with different iCloud accounts on the same Apple TV in the living room. So you just have to be on the same Wi-Fi network um, and, and you can uh, you can control the, the Apple TV. You do have to do the, the authentication thing, but you know, with the, here's the code on the screen, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so thanks for that. That was in our chat at live.macgeekup.com. If you want to know when we are going to be recording live, go to uh, com slash calendar, and you can subscribe to the same calendar that John and I use. All right. Um, one last question about traveling, which some of us are getting to do more and more. Uh, and then, uh, and then actually we have a bunch of quick tips, including some quick tips that I learned while traveling and, uh, and some cool stuff found 
But uh, we'll do this question. Maybe we'll talk about our sponsors and then and then we'll get to our quick tips. Elliot uh, asks very timely, he says, I recall a discussion in an MGG a few years ago about getting an international calling plan on my eSIM of my iPhone. I'm traveling to Croatia uh, for 10 days and using my iPhone 12 Pro. The bulk of my time will be in Montenegro, which, because it is not part of the EU, may be less well served by cellular carriers. My carrier is Verizon. Should I just go with them and get some kind of international plan for those 10 days? Uh, or would the free trial offer that T-Mobile has, the T-Mobile test drive, uh, help me in any way? Or should I get a physical SIM card from a Montenegrin carrier? Being accessible by my usual cellular number for those 10 days is not of high importance. Uh, or should I just rely on Wi-Fi calling? That wouldn't solve the question of GPS for driving in the mountain roads. Yeah, so this was Mac Geek Up 760 which I will uh, put a link to in the show notes, of course. I, if it were me, which is how I generally have to approach answering all of these questions, uh, I would try using the T-Mobile test drive first because you, you get 30 days and 30 gigs for free every six months that you can, you can re-up every six months. Or you can redo the test every six months, at least as their current policies. So I would try that. Um, but I would also look to see if the places I was going were served by T-Mobile uh, and that particular plan. Uh, if not, then I, in fact, before I left, I would certainly get that rolling if it looked like that was going to work for wherever I was going. But I would also download the apps for GigSky, TruePhone, the T-Mobile thing, the My Verizon thing, right? All of those so that when you are in the moment, you can use those apps to add service to your eSIM if you don't have the apps ahead of time it gets a little more tricky to do it so just make sure you have those apps on your phone and make sure that they are actually on your phone and not in you know some sort of we offloaded them because you didn't use them in a while mode uh but make sure you've got them and then and then you should be uh you should be good to go so yeah that's it's a it, that eSIM makes things powerful, but you, you're right. You might be in a scenario where you have to use, uh, you know, if you're in a country where that is not served by any of those, you know, sort of eSIM related services that I mentioned. Uh, and, uh, and like I said, we linked to all of them, the, um, then you might have to get a local physical SIM. And if you wind up in that scenario a lot, then you could switch your main service to your eSIM and then leave your physical SIM open for whenever you travel. Of course, having to get a physical SIM when you land or arrive in some other country is not really the most fun thing to do the moment you step off the plane. Having done it, I can attest to this, but it's also not terrible. It's just sort of a, you know, it's like mayhem at the, the SIM store in, in the airport terminal, but you know, it's fine. You figure it out. It's not there. There are worse problems to have to deal with as, uh, as we've all learned. So, yeah. Yeah. But great question, Elliot. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, all right. Well, like I said, we've got some quick tips, cool stuff found. And, uh, I'd love to talk about our sponsors. If that's, if that's all right with you, my friend. Okay. All right. Our first sponsor today is BB edit 14. This is awesome. I use BB Edit all the time, as you know. BB Edit 14 is a true evolution of this. They've got a couple of new features. Actually, they've got a ton of new features, but I'll talk about a few of them here. One of my favorite ones is that they've 
embraced the fact that many of us open up a new text document and start typing a note and then leave it there. But the problem with that is it's an untitled text document. Sure, it persists when I quit and come back, but it's always just untitled and it makes it difficult to find things. And then you wind up with like 40,000 untitled documents there. And that's not a great organizational system, to say uh, the least. Of course, it's not what BB Edit was built for. But now it is built for that because it's got this note system in there that takes all of that and pulls it in to a place where you can put your notes. So you can create notes from anything, the clipboard or whatever you want. And then they're automatically named and managed by BB Edit, So you can have your notes and eat it too. Wait, does that work? I think it does. They've also added built-in support for new languages. Well, not new languages, additional languages to, to BB Edit: R, Go, Rust, Arduino, Pixar, Universal Scene Description, USDA, and Lisp. Uh, they've done all kinds of different source code editing enhancements, of course. They have a repeat last command command with command Y. You've got to check this out and you can because they have their very generous 30 day eval mode, right? Where you download it for free. You get all the features for 30 days after 30 days. It ratchets down to a subset of the features, some of which might be all some of you need. So go check it out for free and then decide if it makes sense for you to buy. Go to barebones.com slash store and the eval is open to you, even if you have done an eval of previous versions of BB Edit. Go check it out. Barebones.com slash store. Our thanks to Barebones and BB Edit for sponsoring this episode. These days, so many of us small business owners have so much on our plates. Time spent searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for jobs that we have open could be time better spent working on our businesses. And that's why our sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs, has made it easier to get to the candidates worth interviewing faster, and it's free. You know that we just brought Sadie on board a couple of months ago, and it, she has been doing gangbusters, it, helping to expand what we do with the show and all of that stuff. We found Sadie through LinkedIn Jobs. And what's great is you can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 750 million people. And LinkedIn Jobs lets you focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need. You can even use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. And then you filter it all down. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know that every week near the 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MGG. That's linkedin.com slash MGG to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn jobs for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, it is quick tip time, my friend. And I think you found one uh, from our friend, Dave Mark. Yes, let me set this up here. <laughs> All right. You want me to read it while you're setting it up so that we can keep it moving here? Dave, Dave shares a tip about AirTags and, um, and, and what he wrote on Twitter was that Apple support says to touch an AirTag to the top of your iPhone to read the NFC tag, which is like, so there's data in the tag in addition to 
to the tag itself into in addition to the the location features of the tag is that right john absolutely and um you know as you noticed uh, let's go to the video it's going to demonstrate this uh, feature for us and i verified this so i put my air tag up to the the phone yeah and it says oh yeah you want to you want to know more about this um interesting yeah so let's uh it, it, so like what what data does it have on the air tag oh. like can you program it like you could a a regular nfc tag uh no okay no i i tried that and it it, it didn't work so uh yes yeah, so if you look at the video they're going to show you what happens but we need to tell everyone what happens since 99.2% right. okay. of our what audience. happens is you put the tag up and it'll say openfound.apple.com in safari you then get a screen saying about this air tag and it will give the serial number and the phone number that you have associated with your Apple ID. Whoa. Oh, that's pretty good. Now it only shows part of the phone number. Um, uh, if you indicate the tag is lost, then I think it will show your entire phone number. So, but somebody can call you and say, Hey, I found your tag. That makes sense. Oh, that's pretty good. Real. Okay. All right. Oh, I like that. Okay, cool. I wonder what I like is that I, I got to say they did not document uh they didn't document this feature. Mm. I had to go yeah that that's why it surprised me when you know I saw this post from Dave I'm like huh I didn't know it had NFC in it but it does have NFC in it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm going to need to mess with this now. We wound up using we put air tags in our uh, three suitcases that we checked as baggage, you know, for our, our trip when we went to mm -hmm. Nashville for podcast movement and a couple other things last week. And um, it like I've, I've done that with tile over the years as well. Apple, this is not going to come as a surprise to anybody that that actually has stopped and thought about this for a second. But Apple's network is so much more. Uh, so much denser than mm -hmm. tiles network ever was, you know, I would put it on and I would see that. Yeah. It was like located somewhere at an airport or whatever with, with air tags. It's constantly being updated because so many people have iPhones, right? And you don't need a separate app on your phone. You just need to be running iOS 14 and then boom, it's finding it and, you know, reporting it to the system. So it was so easy to just look and be like, Oh yeah, great. Um, you know, it definitely made it here. As soon as the plane landed, it would be like, oh, yep, it's it's found here. I never with tile. I could walk like if I walked to the bathroom on the plane, I could almost always pick up my my tile at some point walking. I did not have that experience this time with air tags, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't. It just means that I did not have that experience this time. But uh, but it's, you know, it's, not, it's always peace of mind to be like in midair and be like oh yep there it is found it with bluetooth cool um yeah yeah cool i um i have a couple of quick tips that i learned while traveling john the first is that you know i traveled with uh my wife and my daughter uh and so that means that i'm i'm traveling with with someone who is very uh keen on using social media and on all the tricks of using social media aka my daughter and one of the things I learned about creating a boomerang video or a looping video one night, she was like, oh, we should toast our glasses or as you know, people have done 
by turning the word cheers into a verb, uh, we should do a cheers with our glasses or cheers our glass. I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to use that word as a verb. But anyway, uh, she said, oh, no, the best way to do it is to start to do it backwards. So we started with our glasses together and then we just brought them down. And that way you get the pivotal moment of this in your boomerang video. If you start with the pivotal moment of it and then you just loop it and it doesn't matter that you were backwards or forwards because the boomerang is going to go backwards and forwards all the time. So you've got this whole thing of people moving their glasses in and out and you get the clink moment because you literally have started with that and you can perfectly arrange it. And it's like, okay, once the clink moment is set up, you start filming and then you just pull away. So, uh, so that's my trick for you. That's my quick tip passed along by my daughter. The other one was that, you know, traveling, obviously we're using our phones all the time. You want to preserve your battery life. So I would put my battery in low power mode. Uh, that was great until I charged my phone because as anyone who uses low power mode on a regular basis, uh, knows when you charge your phone and it hits 80%, well, then you, uh, then it turns off low power mode. Your, you know, your iPhone says, oh, you're charged up enough. It's fine. And, and so low power mode is, uh, you know, is is good to is good to go. You don't need it anymore. I want it. I I wanted it to be on the entire time I was traveling, no matter what. So what I did was I went into the shortcuts app, John, and I created an automation. And this automation is a two step automation. Number one, the when when low power mode is turned off, the do set low power mode to on. So I would charge the phone. It would hit 80% low power mode would be turned off. The automation would kick in because it's told to do that. And of course the step in the automation is turning low power mode back on. And the nice part is now that I am home, I can just turn that shortcut off, but it's still there on my phone. So whenever I want it to remain in low power mode, I can just go turn that shortcut on and boom, uh, and also turn low power mode on. You get a start in low power mode for this to work. And then, uh, then it works. So that, those are my two uh, travel related tips. So Pretty good, right? It's fun. I, I, I can, uh, for those of you in the in the video mode, I can show my screen here so that you can see. It's just a very simple automation. Turn low power mode on when it is turned off. It's a pretty good little thing. I like it. Okay. Yeah. I have a, I have a button for it on my control center. Same, but when you charge your phone, it mm -hmm. turns off low power mode. Yep. So you have to remember to turn it back on. I didn't want to have mm -hmm. to remember. The shortcut takes care of it. So, yeah, I would use the um, the low power mode button on my control center to turn it on. But then this keeps it on because otherwise my phone will turn it off when I charge, as will yours. Um, another thing, this was from listener Gary uh, that sort of related to travel is um, he found a, a site. Uh, from, it's from the go get dock people. And uh, it is a way of creating a vaccine passport to put in your Apple wallet. There's so many places now and more announced every day that are requiring, you know, either a negative test or a, a proof of vaccination or something like that. And the, the website is is go get dot com slash vax. Yes, we'll put a link to all this in the show notes, of course. Uh, it is it, what you do is upload your ID and a, a, a picture of your ID and a picture of your, your Vax card to the uh, to this service. And then they validate it 
and send you a, a, a thing that you can add to your wallet. Now, you're sending your ID, you're sending your vaccine to these people. Who are they? Uh, they are they they are a San Francisco startup that's been in, in place for a couple of years called Go Get Doc. Uh, and they uh, they are the ones behind WellPay. So they are very much steeped in the HIPAA compliance world. They have been managing medical records and things like that for, uh, I think, millions of people for a while here. So bear that in mind as you make your decision as to whether or not you choose to upload that particular information to them. But uh, but they do make it easy. It, quite frankly, the I think the the best way to do this right now is to just take a picture of your Vax card and either store it mm -hmm. in a note or store it in your um, in your photos, but make it a favorite so that you can pull it up quickly. Uh, in addition to that, the clear app, you know, the, the clearme.com, which I think, I think if you go to clear me, they aren't currently a sponsor, but, um, but I think if you go to clearme.com slash MGG, no. Okay. Uh, that they, they wiped that out. They had like an extra super long trial or something that you got, but, uh, if you go to clearme.com, you can get their app and you can create the same sort of thing, but it doesn't create a wallet version of it. You have to use the app, but they do put a way of, of storing and showing your vaccine credentials in uh, in their app as well. So um, more and more places are requiring them. Um, so it, there, there you go. Yeah, makes it easy. Yeah, it kind of irks me because, I mean, it's not really a passport. Well, it's you know it, what I'm saying? It's no more or less of a valid document than your driver's license, right? It's issued by someone that is not there to validate it. So it's ex right. literally, I'm, literally I'm, exactly I'm the saying, same. I'm saying the the Vax card. Yeah, I know you have some problem with with the Vax card, like not being more. I don't know. What do you want it to be? <laughs> this is the wrong place for this conversation. But yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm not quite sure what the something ver verifiable. It's but your driver's verifiable. license is not verifiable. Like, that's the uh, thing to remember. No, like, when you go to a bar, because my, my daughter was carded in Nashville lots and lots last week, and so was I, in fact. They have no way of verifying that. They, the bar doesn't have an ability to check with the state to see if that ID is valid, right? So all they can do is use copy. Okay. All they can do is use the fraud protection that has been built in over the years to my driver's license to look at it and make yeah, an like the like the UV, for example, exactly like they do at the airport. Correct. Okay, but 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 they're not checking it with any any database. Goodness, I would hate it if bars could check my ID with a yeah. database. That'd be terrible. Some people can do that, but not bars. But not bars, right? <laughs> and and not concerts for entry, and not you know. So it like it it mm -hmm. the Vax card is literally no different than that, with the exception of the Vax card is less than a year old, and the driver's license is decades old. Right. Mm -hmm. So the fraud protection has increased on the driver's license over time because it has evolved. Mm -hmm. That has not happened with the Vax card yet. So, yeah, but it's otherwise it's really no different than your driver's license mm -hmm. in that regard. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. want to take us to Andrew, my friend? I will. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I was looking for an, I have an app on my uh, phone that actually that'll read the barcode on the license and tell you what data is in it. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Neat. It is cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Andrew says, I was going to ask how to view full email headers on my iPhone, but it seems like you can't. I want this so that 
I can see which of my email addresses was typed by the sender. The simple solution is to forward the email, and it will be shown in the header that appears at the top of the message that is forwarded. And we'll link to an article that talks about this tip. Um, yeah, he's right. Huh. I, I couldn't find a way in iOS or iPadOS to, uh, to view the full email headers. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I, I usually have, um, I mean, I have the same, pretty much the same email on all my devices. So, you know, uh, so this is a solution if it's an email account that's only on your phone. Right. Otherwise, go to your Mac and you can see it too. I forget, is it view? Yeah, it's in the view menu somewhere in, in uh, Mac Mail. Yeah, if you go to Mac Mail and go to the view menu and go to, um, where is it? Why am I not seeing? Oh, view message. And then it's either all headers, which is command shift H or raw source, which is option shift U. Command shift H sort of tries to format them a little bit while still leaving the message mm -hmm. intact. If you want to see the raw horse, raw, raw horse. I don't know about raw horse. I don't think that's good for any of us. Mm -hmm. um, if you go to see the raw source, then you see the HTML of the message and all that good stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, I'll give you a mini tip. Uh, I'll give Andrew a mini tip here. So if you go to an email, uh, so for example here, I got uh, an email and it, it says who it's from, and then it says to John Braun. If you tap on that, it'll go to your contact card and show you which email address. Right, right. Yeah, if you have that email address in your contact card, that's right. Yeah, it'll, right. But it doesn't, it, all it does is put the recent tag by it. Right. So you mm -hmm. tap on your yep. name in the email. You're right. It brings up your contact card. And the one that says recent by it, that's the address to which that email was sent. Yeah. I wish there was an easier way to see that on iOS or I wish it was clearer. But but you're you're totally right. Yeah, that's a good. I like. That yeah. Too. And every now and then. Yeah. The, the, the need to see a header is, is sometimes uh, mostly spammers will obfuscate the destination address or they'll, they'll forge it. Yeah. But if you look at the headers, you can see which of your addresses was, was the target. So, Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. John, uh, not you, although maybe you knew this, uh, but listener John has a quick tip for us. Uh, and he says, I have a 2018 11-inch iPad Pro uh, that I am selling and have a developer's account. And because of that, I was running the iOS 15 beta and wanted to downgrade before selling it. Smart. Every time I went into recovery and started the recovery process, I would get a 1305 error and the iPad would only boot back into recovery. I then tried it on another Mac and the same thing. I was starting to get frustrated. Google food was no help. And then Reddit came to, the, came to my rescue because both my M1 Macs are running the Monterey beta. I had to disable private relay then I tried again and the recovery ran fine. So you need to disable private relay on your Mac in order to do recovery on an iPhone. That's interesting. I, I wonder if it's because Apple wants to have the actual IP address of the device that forced it into recovery for the authentication. Like I'm not, I'm not sure why those two things are mutually exclusive. Uh, they are. And thank you for the quick tip, John. I'm just, you know, sort of processing, like, why would that be the case? 
don't know. What, what do you think, Mr. Braun? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, but good to know because all of us will be running private relay by default very soon. So bear that in mind uh, that there, there might be some operations that, that involve the network that get a little wonky. And if you turn off private relay, they might just work. All right. Uh, a couple more quick tips before we can go to cool stuff found. Ben shares in dictation mode on iOS. There's a keyboard icon at the bottom right. And you might assume that's the only way to return to typing. I sure did. However, you can actually tap anywhere on the waveform to dismiss the dictation view and get back to the keyboard view. And a bonus tip, if you have multiple language keyboards set up, tap the globe icon while dictating to switch and dictate in a different language. So I like that. It's pretty good. Yeah, I know. I, I love these. This is this is what I love about quick tips. That's why often why we start the show with them. Because I just love them. But, uh, but I figured we'd mix it up a little bit today. Do them in the middle of the show. We can Once we're in our groove a little bit, you know. All right. Uh, and the final quick tip we've got for today, John, is from Kenny, who said, uh, I recently upgraded my home Eros uh, to use the Series 6, the Wi-Fi 6 devices. Unfortunately, a problem I had with the first series routers that were being replaced arose again with the new ones. Specifically, although the house and property is blanketed with strong Wi-Fi signal, I noticed that my third gen iPad Air would randomly disconnect from the Internet. The same thing would happen with my MacBook Pro from time to time. I would shut off Wi-Fi in the iPad system preferences, turn it back on, and I was back on the Internet. Sadly, sometimes the iPad would say you can't join name of network, even though my credentials were obviously correct. The simple fix, go into the Eero settings and shut off the WPA3 option. Rolling everything back to max out at WPA2 resolved the problem on all of my devices. My guess is that Eero's WPA3 flavor isn't the same as Apple's, and that is true. Well, I've had lots of WPA3 problems, not just with Eero. I had it with Synology. I think it's Apple's implementation of WPA3 isn't quite ready for prime time uh, because I've tried it with I think I've tried it with every router that supports it and very quickly it was like, oh, yep, nope, got to turn that off. No fun. I, I think you saw the same thing, right, John, when you first tried yeah. WPA3? Yeah. Something about Apple and WPA3 is no bueno. So the quick tip is turn it off. Turn it off. It'd be better if Apple just didn't try to negotiate WPA3 if it was going to fail. Or if it fails, fall back to WPA2, right? Like that would be even better. All right. Um, time for some cool stuff found. Yeah, what's where? Hmm. Yeah, never mind. Okay, I wanted to see where it was. Is oh, it, I, I think it's an advanced features uh, or or the beta. Yeah, I think it's in, on the, the Eero, Eero app. I think it's in the the beta features or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, Plex, which I'm a big fan of, just released an update to their music features in Plex called Supersonic, and what it does is it analyzes your music locally, right? So the Plex server, your Plex server does this, analyzes your music and then lets you play music that is sonically similar. So in, in, instead of just looking at like metadata to say, oh, we'll play more rock and roll from the 90s or something like that, it would listen to the music and analyze and see, you know, again, the music that's sonically similar will pull things together that sort of fit in uh in that realm they they have a blog post that talks all about it 
it you have to use the Plex Amp app on your iPhone to uh, to leverage this. So you you know you have the server set up and then or anybody's Plex server really if you're connected to mine for example, then you get this because I turned it on on my Plex uh, server. But yeah, pretty cool. So uh, that's why we put it in there because you know cool stuff that we found. That's sort of how it works. All right, um, Grant. Uh, shares his uh, thoughts on our conversation about universal remotes with the cool stuff found. He says, I am a budget-minded consumer and have found the Intiset 4-in-1 universal backlit IR learning remote to be a solid, reliable universal remote. It's 26 bucks on Amazon, and so far it works great with my Samsung TV, my Apple TV 3rd Gen and 4th Gen, old receivers from Ankyo and Yamaha, an LG Blu-ray player, he says, I have to look up the codes online for my various devices, but once set up, it's worked great. And again, under 30 bucks. So yeah, it's not, not a bad path to head down. And and that's it. You know, the part, the nice part about the harmony stuff is it, it builds it all for you. You don't have to do all the work, but of course you're paying for that. Um, and, and maybe not enough people wanted to pay for that. And maybe that's why the harmony line is, is being sunsetted, but, uh, and no one else really is competing with them. So maybe this is the future of those of us that need universal remotes. All right. Uh, oh, what did I do here? John, can you still see me? Mm, yeah. Interesting. I can't see me. Something mm. happened to Chrome, which is what we use to do the live stream. And so I don't get to see me. There it is. Oh, it moved to the bottom of the screen. Oh, there I am. Okay, great. Whew. Uh, all right. And the last cool stuff found that I have is, I'll call it a heads up. Uh, LibreOffice is coming to Apple Silicon. So uh, if those of you that have been running LibreOffice have been on, on M1 Max have been running it in Rosetta 2 mode, which of course runs great and you probably don't even notice an issue. I certainly haven't, but they are adding in compilation options for Apple Silicon this week. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Or, you know, maybe look at the Mac Geek Cab show notes. I don't know. That's where we have links to lots of different things. MacGeekCab.com. So it is soon to be available. I just want to give everybody the heads up. <sighs> All right. Where are we here? John, I traveled. I have a question because I got caught. I broke the rules, John. I broke our cardinal. I committed the cardinal sin. I got caught. It seems that I have become extremely reliant on the technology I have at home, specifically with regards to maintaining a reasonable uh, speed when there is a speed limit on the road, which is most <laughs> of the time. And I learned this driving in rural Tennessee uh, as we were going to a tour of the Jack Daniels uh, distillery, which was fascinating, by the way. Really, really fascinating. Uh, I use I use three things in my car at home that help me. One is CarPlay, which I had in my rental car, and it does show the speed limit there. Uh, the other is my car actually knows the speed limit of most roads, and it would show me that. I didn't have that in the rental car. But the big one, and it you, you know I've I've said this before. I'm sure people didn't believe me. The big one is my radar detector. I use it far more for telling me when I am going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit than I do for actually detecting any radar signals. It warns me. It knows the speed limit too. It has GPS in it. Uh, 
and uh, and when I am going 10 miles and over 10 miles an hour over the limit, it warns me and I know to slow down. And this is super helpful uh, here in New England, but also would have been helpful in Tennessee because we have what I like to call revenue enhancement zones. As you are on these rural roads, you come into a town that doesn't really look like you're in a town yet, but they start lowering the speed limit well ahead of the town. Uh, and and certainly here in New Hampshire and Vermont, we 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 have these created very specifically as revenue enhancement zones uh, for the towns that that need extra revenue from people that are driving through. Uh, and so I was one of those people in Tennessee and the officer was very nice to me and all that good stuff. But um but what, what I really found interesting, John, was he did not put the amount of the citation on the ticket. And I have a feeling it's because the amount will vary depending on whether I want to go and talk about it with them in person or if as an out of state person, maybe I would just choose to call them up and pay it. So um, if anybody knows anything about uh, you know, addressing a speeding ticket in Tennessee. Let me know. Feedback at MacKeekup.com. I would love, I have a couple of months to figure this out. So I figure I might as well gather information because I got caught, John. So. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't gotten one in ages. Same. Uh, Same. Two things. One, uh, Waze will also show you the speed limit where you're at. Sure. And, uh, and the, uh, the indicator will turn red. Um, Right. If you're going over the speed limit. And That's true. Mine is constantly red. Well, you can set that in ways, though, right? I think in mm-hmm. ways you can set it to only go red if you're 10 over or something. Or maybe I'm maybe I'm conflating that with the with the escort radar detector app, because it's a super handy feature to be able to say, warn me when I'm five over, warn me when I'm 10 over. Evidently, I don't evidently I don't look at speed limit signs anymore. Like, that's what I learned out mm-hmm. of this, you know, is that technology has taken that over that 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 job for me while i'm driving i always know what the speed limit is and i always know if i'm within the realm but it's because of technology it's not because of something i'm doing as a driver which is which is you know again a lesson i learned last week yeah 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 and as far as uh getting a ticket um you could contest it and they may you you the, the last time I got a ticket, which was probably like yeah. twenty five years ago, um, you can go to court. You can contest it, and uh, the uh, uh, prosecutor um, may cut you a deal. Right? I'll be like, oh yeah, make a make a donation to uh, you know United Way or something like that, and we'll uh, we won't you know put any points on your license. That that's sort of the trick, and and they also mentioned something about. Uh, traffic school, which I, of course, because I haven't had a ticket in decades, I haven't done. I don't think I've ever done traffic school. So, I, you know, that that's an option. But I but every state's different. And of course, me not being in Tennessee uh, does not help my my uh, my scenario. Yeah. So hopefully somebody so hopefully somebody listening has some some Tennessee specific advice and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. But yeah, the last time I got caught, um, there were two uh, two lines for talking to the state's attorney. I think it's the state's attorney. Sure. One line, everybody who was done talking to the person walked away with a big smile on their face. And the other person, everybody looked very unhappy. Um, I got unhappy guy. Oh, that sucks. Oh, <laughs> so I had to pay, pay the fine. Womp womp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go back to some of the things we talked about in our sort of deep dive experiment episode feedback from y'all has been 
overwhelmingly positive on that. There were a few nitpicks, which obviously we have, we have uh, you know, very much taken to heart. And hopefully even in this episode with the video that we've incorporated, we've we've begun to address some of those things, like making sure that we're talking about what we're seeing in the videos as opposed to just showing a video and saying you should watch this. Uh, but uh, but by and large, I was really blown away with, you know, usually when you when you ask for feedback, you anticipate having far more negative feedback than positive feedback. And you sort of have to factor that into your thought process. Uh, you were all either too kind or you uh, really liked what we did. Seriously, though, we still want feedback on that. So if you have yet to send in anything uh, and have thoughts about our our experiment into incorporating more video content, especially if you are an audio only listener, uh, which is most of you. Uh, let us know because we we really want to preserve the audio experience. Uh, so please let us know. Yeah, awesome. Uh, but we did get uh, a couple of questions related to that, and JP starts us hey, off Dave, with one of them. JP, um, I was listening to your deep dive just now, and the uh, I'm glad to hear you love YouTube TV. It's pretty cool. I have a question for you. You don't have to answer, at, you know, unless you have time, but. You're using the LG TV app of YouTube TV, which I don't. I don't use smart TV apps because I don't like the Android sure. of it all. My question to you is: When you pull up the Live Grid, if you change the order of your Live Grid using a web browser in your set in your settings, which you can do, does it translate to the app on the television set, the smart TV? Got it. All right. Well, I will. I will. Um leave the question at that because I don't want to subject everyone to all that road noise. Sometimes I can EQ it out today. I was not uh, as successful. The answer is yeah, for sure. The YouTube TV interface. So what he's talking about is you have three different tabs. And for those of you that watched the video last week, you saw them, but you have three different tabs. You have uh, a live recordings and, and like a, a recommended or something uh, tab. And the, um, when you go to live, you get a, a grid of all the things that are on live, a channel grid. What's cool is you can customize that grid and either move things around or even uh, omit channels from it that you know you'll never watch. And so you can put your favorites at the top and all that good stuff. That grid follows you from device to device. It doesn't matter, or at least it follows me. It doesn't matter you know, where I am. It's, the grid is not uh, customized per device. It is customized per account. So, for example, in our Airbnb last week, there was a Samsung TV. I downloaded the YouTube TV app onto it. I logged into my YouTube TV account and boom, all of our stuff was there. It was actually really, I mean, it, again, not a surprise, but super smooth, really great experience um, to just have that there, uh, especially on one crazy rainy night that we had where we were um, in. So. So, yeah, it works really well. Uh, a quick tip for everyone, though, uh, for traveling, you know, when when we go to Airbnbs, I log into, I don't know, four or five different things on the TV. I log into now YouTube TV. I logged into Fubu, Fubo since we we're testing that too. also log into my Plex. I log into Apple TV plus I probably log into Netflix. I create a note and it, I share the note amongst everyone that is staying in the Airbnb with me called things to do before we check out. And I make it a checklist. And every time I log into a new account, I put that there. And every time we move, we had to move a plant off of like the, the bedside table in, in the room my daughter was staying in so that she could like, you know, put her phone and things there. So we moved the plant to like the dresser. 
It was like, all right, move the plant back to this. All those things that, you know, can just make a make you a good guest, but B keep you from getting on the plane and thinking, oh, crap, I forgot to log out of Apple TV or, you know, forgot to do any of those things. So making that things to do when we check out list huge. Uh, I would even do it in hotel rooms, especially if you're if you take a cord and like plug it in behind the bed or something that becomes part of the room to you after a day or two. Right. You just you're using it. You don't think about it and you might just leave it behind. So a little quick tip. Thoughts on any of that, John, before we uh, move on to Ed's nope. related tip. All right. Ed had a, uh, an, a tip again related to that same segment. He says, I loved your deep dive. I wanted to expound on your discussion of Plex. I too signed up for their lifetime Plex pass, but I also added an HD home run receiver from Silicon Dust. This converts over the air signals from local TV stations to digital streams that feed my Plex server. Then the Plex server's DVR functions uh, record all my shows in series just like TiVo. If the show's in the middle of being recorded, it offers to watch it live or start from the beginning while continuing to record the rest of the show. My HD home run has four received channels, so I can record up to four shows simultaneously. In addition, when a show is done recording, Plex will post-process it and remove all the commercials if you like. Uh, it can also mark them without removing them, so you can click a skip button uh, if you don't completely trust their algorithm. He says, uh, we don't really watch sports much, but my wife likes Hallmark and Jersey Shore. So I have been trying out the Philo app, P-H-I-L-O, which a few of you have recommended as their live TV service. Um, so or their streaming TV service. So uh, we'll put a link to both of those things in the show notes. Yeah. When we talked about HD Home Run a few years ago and they actually sent them to test, uh, but I, I never bothered to test it because it didn't look like we had great. Uh, over the air reception here at my house. I looked after getting Ed's email and it seems like things might be better. So I think I might have to dig that out or, or get a new one. that's more up to date and, uh, and test that because obviously if you can get over the air TV and you feed that into your Plex, well, now you have your own DVR that you run and you're not paying anything for your streaming TV because it's streaming over the air. So uh Yeah. And oh, I'll have to check this out. Thank you, Ed, for the reminder. And 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 good news for everybody. If you go to H, I believe it's hdhomerun.com. No, it's siliconduscom They have a link to let you check and see what the strengths are um, in your region. So and really at your specific address. So you can really see if like, is this even something worth considering? Do I get enough uh, signal to my, you know, to my house? in order for that kind of antenna to work. So yeah, check it out. John, you had some comments on, uh, on the battery stuff that you talked about. Oh, Jeremy wrote in, um, uh, and he says, I too have gotten one of the new, uh, MagSafe battery packs from my iPhone mini since the battery in the phone doesn't last all day. There are a couple of things I want to mention. Um, John, you said that you can charge the battery while it is connected to the phone and it gives it an extra boost. But did you know that you can charge the phone with the battery connected and both will charge? No, I didn't know that. Um, pretty neat and possibly a feature for the next AirPods charging from your phone. Just don't get caught. I almost did yesterday. I attached the battery to my phone when it had around 23% battery left. Surprisingly, the battery in the phone kept dropping, even though the indicator showed it was charging. The indicator for the battery pack did not show it was dropping, though. 
At 18%, I started getting nervous and removed and reattached the battery pack to see if that would help. I had to do that again at 15% because it obviously didn't. But at that point, the iPhone started to recharge from the pack. Seems there's still some kinks to work out. Huh. Very cool. Um, and initially, I was going to fist shake um, Apple because kind of like that NFC feature that we talked about. Yeah. Um, my issue was they didn't document this. Uh, I was wrong, though. And we're going to link to an article. But huh. Apple actually does mention this feature it would have been nice if they put like the the documentation that comes with it is is not very good yeah yeah right 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 <laughs> they could have just put a car you know like a card with a graphic showing like you know plug into the battery and you know it'll charge the phone or plug it to the phone and it'll also charge the battery sure yeah 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 right yeah it's a it's i yeah that's a chi charging is i'm actually curious how many people out there rely on chi charging all the time i i find it to be most of us in the house here i think of the of the four of us in the family i think my son is the only one who routinely uses chi charging as like the only way he charges his phone it's what he relies on it just works and of course he was the one of the four of us whose iphone stopped accepting a chi charge he had to get it replaced by apple but Maybe maybe there's something to this, but I don't know. It it just always seems a little bit, you know, it works. And then one time you go pick up your phone and it, it didn't charge. It's like, okay, you know, this is a drag. So I don't know. I, do you rely on Chi with your phone on any regular basis, John? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. But if I want to charge it fast, I'll plug it in because yeah. that's the fastest method of charging the phone yeah and get yourself a power delivery plug with a uh usb-c to lightning cable that's the fastest way right mm -hmm. so yep all right uh will we got we'll i think we got room for two more will asked is there an app or a way uh to restart an app if it is detected as not running i have an issue that the OneDrive app from microsoft imagine that he says randomly stops if i don't notice it days may go by before i catch it and then i'm out of sync I'm looking for an app that could check for that situation and open and reopen the OneDrive app if it detects it isn't running because I'm trying not to get caught. Yes, Will. Um, so honestly, that's something that I would use a custom launch agent for. Uh, we did a segment at about the 23 minute mark in Mac Geek 882, which I'll link to about how you can create a custom launch agent. But that's one of the things that a launch agent can do is to just keep an app running at all times. So that I, 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 that's how I would, again, you know, I answer these questions as what would it do if it were me or what would I do if I were there? So that's how I would start down this path. You could also, uh, I think you could do this with keyboard maestro too, but I would use like Lingon to, uh, to create a custom launch agent and just you know, that should do it. Uh, that's certainly how I would start. So hopefully that helps. John, you want to take our last one, our last quick one here with Larry? Yes. Um, Larry says, I've had a problem with this on Facebook, but now it's also happening on eBay. I started this auction on my iPad earlier today, and in the title, now I get an I get OBJ. This is when I'm using Siri. The same thing happens when I post using my iPad on Facebook. What gives? It doesn't show up like that on my iPad. Um, 
So it's it's like the the letters OBJ inside of a dotted box. Like it it looks like an icon of some sort, like an emoji, but it's clearly mm-hmm. not an emoji, right? So and so um using my mad search skills, uh I found a dandy little article called What is OBJ on Facebook posts? All you need to know about this weird symbol. <laughs> um basically it's telling you that it can't render uh one of the characters ah. of what you entered. Oh, so it's an unknown character is essentially what that's what that's saying. That's what this article seems to indicate. That makes sense. Yeah. Especially with Facebook, because like Facebook renders their own versions of emojis. They don't just tell your computer to yes. render an emoji. They have their own weird, uh, you know, interpretations mm. of what emojis might be. So, yeah, I could see. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So if they don't have it in their database, then they just say, you know, here you go. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Awesome. Well, it's amazing. Time flies mm. when we're having fun. But the time flew and we had fun. So success. Uh, you know what? We um we get uh, we get reviews from you folks, and we would love to have you uh, review the show. If you go to macgeekup.com slash reviews, that's the closest we can get you to being able to review us on on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we can't we can't like we can't get you right to the review form. You got to click a little bit, but we can get you close. So macgeekup.com slash reviews will get you there. I want to read three reviews that we got. The first is from uh, Speed Ono from the Netherlands this week, who says, two stars out of five. The show is getting worse. It's a rich people-only Mac show. We do talk about things that are expensive here. We have been told that we are expensive people to know. Uh, so we take that, and, and thanks for sharing it, Speed Ono. Uh, the second is from Harapal's Instaars from Romania, and I definitely bungled that. Five out of five, knowledge nuggets. The Q&A approach coupled with the chapter system is the ideal way to get geeky macOS and iOS tips and tricks. Started listening to this podcast as a power user, but learned so much more than I expected, so I recommend this show to all serious Mac users willing to dig deep into the ecosystem. Thank you so much for that. That's great. I'm glad. We love hearing these things. I mean, it, it, like, it truly helps us to, to, to know, are the things that we're doing helping? Are they not helping? Are they too expensive? Finally, Giles GTD from the UK, five out of five, the best podcast for all things Apple. I'm a longtime listener of Mac Geek Gab. To me, it is the best podcast for all things Apple. If you have left a review in the past, you can update it if it's been more than six months, and we would kindly request that you do so because it really does help us as these reviews come in uh, to you know, chart and bring in more listeners and all that good stuff. So thank you for that, everyone. Good stuff. That's all I got today. Please give us a review. That's what I got. You got anything, John? Nope. All right. Well, make sure you check out our sponsors, folks. Of course, barebones.com to check out BB Edit 14. LinkedIn jobs at linkedin.com slash MGG to post your first job post for free. You can check out the rest of our sponsors at macpcup.com slash sponsors. Fun stuff. John, I got us into this mess, my friend. Will you help me get out of it? Will um, you help us all get out of this? I'm going to get us out and suggest that you don't get caught. It's good advice. Made up. I need to take that advice. <laughs>